Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. Welcome back to another episode of Success That Lasts. On this week's episode, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the topic of scary versus dangerous. I recently encountered this specific topic in a book written by Guy Raz, R-A-Z, Guy Raz, and the name of the book is How I Built This. The book was inspired by Guy's podcast, but the subtitle is The Unexpected Paths to Success from the World's Most Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Though I strongly recommend the book, I just wanted to spend a few minutes to unpack this specific topic in greater detail. Why is it that we're so bad at differentiating between things that terrify us versus things that present real hazards? We're scared of flying, but we have no problem zipping down the highway at 75 miles per hour, even though you're 86 times more likely to die in a car accident than a plane crash. The odds of a plane crash are only 1 in 10,000. Here's another kind of fun one. What about bathtubs versus sharks? Bathtubs claim one American life every single day, and yet sharks claim only about one per year on average. Looking at this logically, bathtubs should be about 365 times more frightening than sharks, but clearly they're not. We don't have a bathtub week on Discovery Channel, do we? So let's reset again with the original question. Why is it that we're so bad at differentiating between things that terrify us versus things that present real danger? The real reason is fairly easy to explain. We're more relaxed around things that we're more acquainted with. So in the book, Guy Raz uses a specific entrepreneur to help kind of tell this story of scary versus dangerous. He chose Jim Coke. Jim is the founder of Sam Adams Brewery. What makes this particular story kind of interesting is Jim's background. Prior to founding the brewery, Jim went to Harvard for his undergraduate degree, his MBA, as well as his law degree. All of that credentialing, certainly combined with a high level of intellect, landed him a great job at the Boston Consulting Group. Back in 1984, he was apparently earning well over $250,000 then, which is in excess of $600,000 in today's terms. When asked about his decision to leave the Boston Consulting Group, Jim actually framed it in the scary versus dangerous framework. Jim stated, leaving Boston Consulting Group didn't carry the risk. It was staying. It's the difference in life between the things that are scary and the things that are dangerous. There are plenty of things in life that are scary but aren't dangerous. And there are things that are dangerous but not scary. And it's those things, dangerous but not scary, that ultimately get you. My brother Derek's an avid rock climber and mountain climber. Though not scary for him, rappelling off a mountain terrifies me. However, it really probably shouldn't. You have a belay rope, it's both strong and secure. So it's really not dangerous when it's done well. Conversely, 
and walking across a 35-degree angle snowfield on a beautiful late May blue sky day certainly is not scary at all, but it is very dangerous. The snow's melting and it's eventually going to cause an avalanche. Walking across that snowfield is dangerous, but not scary. So let's take a quick minute to reflect upon something. What are some things in your life that you might have accidentally misidentified? What are a few things that you might think of today as dangerous, either personally, professionally, or financially, that in reality are just scary? In the Jim Coke example, failing was scary, but wasting his life was dangerous. And that's why I love the quote, don't fear failure, fear success in things that don't matter. So what are some other things that are scary, but not necessarily dangerous? Well, financially, it can feel scary to spend your whole life building a business. When you finally get to the chance to sell it, the thought of trusting global capitalism, 10,000 plus businesses in 40 different countries can feel scary, but there's an abundance of empirical data to suggest that it can be managed in a way that wouldn't be financially dangerous. It can feel scary to make big money moves in the estate and legacy planning process. Even though there's only really three places for your assets to go when you're no longer here, heirs, charity, and the government, it can still feel really scary. However, doing nothing when you already have a taxable estate can certainly be viewed as financially dangerous. Change abounds right now. Technology, globalization, a pandemic, all these forces are causing disruption. It's forcing many companies and their teams to really embrace change. Companies that can't navigate the required change risk death. Change by its very nature is unfamiliar. Thus, change is scary. However, sometimes staying where you are today, doing what you've always done, is actually the dangerous thing. So how do we step into the change? How do we get comfortable with the uncomfortableness often associated with change, the anxiety of stepping into the unknown? I recently encountered a phrase, it's Spanish, which I don't speak very well, well, hardly at all actually. So bear with me here. The phrase goes something like this, se hace camino al andar. It's a Spanish phrase and it means you make the road as you walk. It's the realization that there is actually no path, no plan, no role model, no precedent for the course or the action that one must often take when they are stepping into the unknown and embracing change. In that moment, you're essentially a reluctant entrepreneur and you may experience periods of paralysis when you face kind of a daunting task. But the counsel to make the road as you walk, I think is freeing. It gives you the permission to step into that uncertainty and really discover the road. Yet, at the same time, this discovery of the road itself requires you to take action. It requires you to walk. It requires you to break the inertia. So if you're a regular listener of this show, you know that I love behavioral finance. You know that I've been a student of the topic and love the science and the Nobel research that's gone into this emerging field of helping us better understand not necessarily rational behavior, but normal behavior, because normal behavior as a human is somewhat irrational at times. And we've talked about one of the reasons behind that. The neuroscience certainly supports that. The prefrontal cortex is where we all make our logical decisions. Yet when we are triggered, when our emotions are provoked, the first impulses are actually received by our amygdala. That's the part of our brain that's probably the oldest part of our brain 
and most associated with the fight, flight, or freeze response. And interestingly, that triggers cortisol, and the cortisol often creates vascular restriction, which then I think further exacerbates the blood flow to your body, and in theory would then reduce your capacity to receive signals in your prefrontal cortex and makes rational decisions. So with all that said, does that mean that you just give up making logical decisions? Absolutely not. So there's a variety of different techniques that have been developed to help us make more logical decisions and overcome some of the emotional stumbling blocks. One framework that's been developed is often referred to as the four R's. The four R's represent recognize, reflect, reframe, and respond. So if we go back and work through these individually, recognize means to spend time recognizing your thoughts, your emotions, your words, and kind of your instinctual behaviors. And following that, then you need to reflect, reflect upon any sort of biases or specific principles or values and how this relates to the big picture. So after you've recognized and reflected, then you're in a position to reframe the particular moment or decision that you're faced with. And so this is your self-talk to account for all the various biases that you know exist and avoid responding to them in a highly charged or emotional fashion. And it's then, after you've recognized, reflected, and reframed, that you're in a position to respond. To respond with a decision that's consistent with your principles, values, and goals. So as we wrap up this week's episode, I wanted to share a real-world story of a company that you're probably familiar with, Netflix. So recently I watched a documentary on Amazon Prime called Netflix Versus the World. And they recount this startup story of Netflix. And I thought one specific moment really stood out and lines up with what we talked about today. So pretty early on, as Netflix was struggling to gain traction and develop a business model that would enable them not only to survive, but to scale, they found some success selling DVDs online. And as the business ramped up, the initial founder, Reed Hastings, who later became their CEO, came in and looked at what the organization was doing and where they had found some of the success at that moment in time. And ultimately, Reed required them to get out of that business altogether. That was well over 90 plus percent of their business at that moment in time because he knew that selling DVDs was not going to afford them the long-term competitive advantage that they needed. So firing 90% of your business certainly was a scary thing. But he had enough vision to see that Amazon and others would be able to outcompete them in the selling of DVDs online. And maybe there'd be a moment in time where DVDs were no longer even relevant. So they fired 90% of their business with a finite amount of cash in the bank as a startup to go repursue a different business model that he felt like could be sustainable for the long run that offered them a truly competitive advantage. And so think about that as a startup to fire 90 plus percent of your business to retrench and reimagine and relaunch your business into what would eventually later become Netflix. And at the same time, a story within that specific story was the story of Blockbuster, how Netflix ultimately outcompeted them. But along the way, they went to Blockbuster before they had really truly found their stride and offered Blockbuster an opportunity to acquire them to essentially 
borrow their infrastructure and their business model to scale Blockbuster online faster. But it was in the hubris of Blockbuster and maybe confidence in their own team and a desire to not really embrace the change that they didn't see what was inevitable and said no. Blockbuster turned down Netflix for a $50 million acquisition and ultimately Netflix was probably the death blow that took Blockbuster out. And so there within the story, you've got an organization that embraced change and one that didn't. And though change is scary, sometimes not changing is actually dangerous. So there you have it. Dangerous and scary. Hopefully this was a fun opportunity for you to spend a little bit of time learning a little bit more how to delineate and differentiate between things that are terrifying and things that actually present real hazard to you, your family, or to your business. So until next time, be well.